and I've been with my boyfriend a little over four years. Um, but yeah, I, I like to think that maybe my dad sprinkled some like magic fairy dust and was like, here you go. He always wanted me to just get married. That was like his number one priority. He was like, I don't care if you work. I just want you to get married. <laughs> so, and, and he heard all the stories about all the guys that I dated and he had nicknames for all of them. And he's like, oh God, these losers. Um, so I know that he would be so happy that I'm finally with somebody who's so great and special and treats me very well. Hello and welcome to Grief, Gratitude and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I am having the honor of chatting for the first time with Romy Divac, and we've just chatted for the past 20 minutes here pre-interview. <laughs> <laughs> Pre-interview, excited to kind of get to know each other. So Romy is the creator and designer and probably CEO and everything else in all, all the different the, titles. All of the things, exactly. <laughs> all of it of Sincerely Jewelry. And also then now on her Instagram account, she now hosts this uh, weekly podcast called Good Grief, in which she interviews people. And Jenny Robinson, which was one of my guests had uh, been one of your guests on Instagram exactly. Live. So welcome, Romy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad you're here. And we just discovered we're both golden doodle mamas. We are both <laughs> golden doodle mamas, the best kind of mama, in my opinion. <laughs> I have human mamas too, but let me just tell you, I have human children too, but let me just say that my doodle loves me probably more unconditionally than my children because they're, they're they're teenagers and so it's like I definitely get more love from, love from the doodle. doodle yeah I mean I, I don't take... have I don't yeah, have yeah. children yet so he's my number one but this poor animal like when I do have kids he's not going to know what to do with himself because he is so spoiled and we treat him like a human and he goes everywhere with us so it's pretty hilarious so it's like I'm the queen of side notes of like these derailed conversations Same. and okay good so and my and as I told you right before we started recording um the conversation is just really casual we're just going to get to hear your journey and um hear more about you your dad and then your journey of grief as well as sincerely jewelry as well so you we, you talked we talked about Florida we talked about LA so you're originally from Florida Yes. Okay. So let's go into a little bit of your background and upbringing. Okay. So yeah, I'm from South Florida. Um, I grew up originally in a town called Plantation, which is part of Fort Lauderdale. Um, and then when I was about 13, we moved to a town called Weston, which is just kind of West Fort Lauderdale. And it was a great place to grow up. I have an older brother that's about eight years older than me. 
Um, my parents are originally from the Northeast, so I still had some of that Northeast like blood in me. Um, Where in the Northeast are they from? My dad's from Long Island. Well, originally the Bronx and then moved to Long Island. And my mom's from New Jersey. Um, so they moved down here right after my dad graduated from dental school. He was a dentist, uh, moved down to Florida. He always wanted to be in the sun. And um, yeah, they they raised my brother and I here and planned to obviously stay here. And my mom is still here. But unfortunately, my dad passed away. So there is that. But um, it was such a great place to grow up. Um, you know, I don't know from the winters, although we did ski my entire life. So we spent a lot of time in Colorado and ended up having a second home there. That was really my parents' happy place. And because I live in Los Angeles, it was a lot of times much easier for me to travel there than to come all the way back to Florida. So that was like a second home for me for many years of my life. Um, so yeah, it was great. I mean, I, I horseback rode for about 10 years of my life. That was a big part. Um, you know, my we were big into boating, going to the beach club. It was just like a great, like sun-filled life where uh, I had a great family. My grandparents lived down here. Eventually, some of my cousins lived down here. Um, great friends. I went to the same school from kindergarten to senior year. So I had the same group of friends my entire childhood. And then of course, more friends from other schools as like we got older and the bar and bat mitzvah circuit started and all of that. Um, and I keep in touch with many of them. In fact, I'm seeing one of them on Thursday night. And um, yeah, it was just, it was a great, great place to grow up. Great childhood. Very, very lucky. And here I am now for the last four months in South Florida, which is the longest amount of time I've spent here since I don't even know how long ago, probably since my dad passed away. But I was only here two months when that happened. So I've, I've beat yeah, that yeah. by another two months. So what what took you then from there to Los Angeles then? Did you, did you move for work? Did you move for love? Did you move for uh, school? What was, or just because, hmm, I want to. Just wanna... because a little bit. Exactly. So in, in high school, um, over the summer, there was a program called Summer Discovery, which a lot of kids from the East Coast did. And you could go to a school for the summer and take classes and live in the dorms and kind of experience what college had to offer. So I did this program at UCLA. So I lived in the dorms, lived in Westwood, um, got to experience a little bit of LA life. And then when I went to college, I actually ended up graduating a, graduating a semester early and had six months to sort of figure out what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be. I had originally taken the LSAT um, just because, I don't know, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. So that sounded like a great idea. And then I really realized that I did not want to go to law school. That wasn't for me. I had already always wanted to be in fashion. Um, so I started interviewing in New York and in Los Angeles to kind of get a feel for what I would want to do. And I went to New York a few times, stayed with friends, had a few interviews, and then um, went to um, LA for a week and stayed with a family friend and loved it. I rented a car, I drove around, I had interviews, I went to the beach, and there was just something about it that I don't know if it was familiar because of the warm weather and the beaches and the palm trees and all of that, but it just felt like something I needed to try. And I always figured 
if it didn't work out, I could always go back to the East Coast and then try New York. But here I am in August. It will be 14 years that I've lived in Los Angeles. And I guess it worked. I guess I loved it. Yeah. That's crazy. awesome. That's so awesome. <laughs> now, you know, and there's a beauty to and I like because you get the beach, but you also get mountains, which you, which you don't have mm-hmm. in Florida. Yeah, you don't mm-hmm. have that particular aspect. You're just flat. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and I say it with love because my family lives in Florida. So I'm like, I say it lovingly. But yeah, but that's the one thing that sometimes like we miss. Here in Dallas, we don't have either. We don't have the mountains and we don't have the water, the water either. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's how you ended up there. And that's how you, then you decided to go into the fashion industry. And mm-hmm. then... um how did you decide to become a jeweler? Well, or was that, that after? Was of, this after? By accident? This, this was, is after you with your dad? This was after my dad. So this was sort of okay. by accident. I never intended to be a jewelry designer or even make jewelry for that matter. Um, I was a stylist for about nine years and dealt with a lot of jewelry because we had to pull jewelry for award shows and press junkets and advertising campaigns and all of that. So I was very familiar with a lot of the big jewelry designers and, you know, dealing with the jewelry and all of that kind of stuff, but I never actually manufactured it and understood that side of it. So um, after my dad passed away, which was the end of September in 2014, it was my mom's birthday in February of the following year. So not too far away. And it's like, what do you get somebody for their first birthday without, you know, there, there's really nothing you can do that's going to make that first birthday mm, without their okay loved one. or, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, whatever word you want to use to describe the feelings that that person's going to have. So I wanted to get her something special. And anyone who knows, I really enjoy gift giving and I love getting thoughtful gifts. So it was sort of a no brainer. So, um, One of my dad's very good friends at the time was a jeweler, is still a jeweler in uh, South Florida. And when we were cleaning out my dad's office, we found a stamp that he used to, you know, fill prescriptions, sign checks, all of that. And I stamped it and it was his signature. And I was like, I wonder if I can turn dad's signature into a diamond necklace. That sounds like a great idea. So I sent it to my dad's friend and I said, hey, can you turn my dad's first name, which was Steven, into a diamond necklace. And he was like, yeah, I can't see why not. So he made it for my mom's birthday. That was like the first rendition of it. Obviously, we've perfected the process since and I gave it to her for her birthday and she was beside herself. And to this day, now she has a new one of the you know new and upgraded version, but she constantly just touches it and it makes her feel like my dad is with her. So Long story short on that, people kept asking her about it. It's very unique because my dad had a unique handwriting, so nobody really knows what it says. Um, And then one person said, oh, my goodness, that's amazing. I want one. I want one. I want one. So we made a handful of them just for people that we knew, friends and family in South Florida. And um, that was sort of it. I mean, I kind of at that time decided – should I turn this into a business? Like, why not? I can, I know I can make them, but I still very much had a full-time job at the time. And it was overwhelming with having just lost my dad and 
you know, dealing with my mom and her anxiety about being alone and all of that. So it wasn't something that really turned into a real business until about two years later. Mm. And um, now it's been four and a half years of it being a real, real business. And then as of February 1st, I actually um, took time away from my full-time job, which I've had this entire time to just focus solely on Sincerely. So now it is officially full, full, full time. Ah, bravo. Thank you. Love it. Now, I want to ask you a few questions then in the midst of this journey then. So when your dad passed and he passed mm-hmm. away from a, a cancer, correct? A type yes, of cancer? He, yeah, he, he passed away from something called multiple myeloma, which is a bone marrow cancer. And he also passed away from a secondary disease that comes with a small percentage of of people with myeloma called amyloidosis. Okay. How, um, how long was his, um, his process of, from diagnosis to passing away? Three months. Oh, wow. So it was really quick. Yeah. It was. By the time we even knew what was going on, it was very quick. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. And you were in Los Angeles when you found out. So would you mind sharing just the ask that a little bit about that, the finding out and then mm-hmm. what do you do? Because that's the thing. You get a diagnosis. You probably still think you have some time and then mm-hmm. – it's just three months. So how, again, here you're from coast to coast. Share a little bit about that mm-hmm. aspect. So I think as many people you've probably spoken to as well as myself um, have shared, parents like to hide things from you until they need to tell you. So I didn't realize that there were a few things that were going on behind the scenes um, and some tests that my dad was having done, but nobody told me until, of course, they got the results. Um, and I remember I was at, I don't know if you're familiar, but there's an outdoor mall in Los Angeles called the Grove. And I remember I was in the parking lot and my brother called me and this was in the middle of the day. And I was there for work because when I was styling, I had to like go to stores and do returns and shop and all of that. So it was the middle of a work day and my brother's calling me, which was already strange. And I answered the phone and he was like, you know, I have to talk to you about something. Also not a good sign. He's like, don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. Um, But dad's been having some tests done and they came back and it turns out he was diagnosed with a form of cancer called multiple myeloma. It was like everything after the word cancer just vanished. And I immediately like went into panic mode and started crying. And my brother was like, Romy, it's fine. Honest to God, he's going to be okay. Like this is so treatable. It's so early stages. It's stage one. He has no lesions on his bones yet, which is part of myeloma. It starts to affect your bones. He's like completely clear. They caught it very early. He doesn't even need treatment. They're just going to watch him and see how things progress, but he will be fine. So that hearing that really, you know, eased me. It didn't, it wasn't like he's diagnosed with a terminal cancer. He has this amount of time to live. That would have been even more devastating. But this, I was like, okay, my brother says he's fine. 
This is super treatable. Tom Brokaw has it and he's lived with it for years and years and years. Like dad's going to be fine. Oh, wow. I didn't know. Yeah, exactly. Most people are like, oh, I didn't even know he had that. But um, yeah, I didn't know. So the the thing with my dad was, um, like I mentioned, he had this secondary disease, which we didn't know. And it's called amyloidosis. And it's a disease that happens on its own. But it also is um, something that can be caused by myeloma. And it's about 10 to 15. Like triggered by. Exactly. It's like it's kind of like triggered. Yeah. By. It's just one of those fun things that you can get. 10 to 15% of people with myeloma also get this. And that is ultimately what caused all of his problems. And it was very much a du- double-edged sword because in order for them to treat the amyloidosis and the myeloma, he had to have um, uh, chemo, but the amyloidosis was making him so sick that he couldn't tolerate the chemo. So until they got the amyloidosis under control, they couldn't treat him for everything else. So it, it just like became the cycle where it got so out of control and he got so sick, there was really never the opportunity to treat him correctly for the myeloma. Um, but, you know, back up a little bit, he was really totally fine. They went to MD Anderson up in Boston and met with one of the top myeloma specialists who I quote, I will never forget this, told my dad, like something will get you long before this ever does. Mm-hmm. And um, he came home, celebrated, was doing great, was feeling fine. And and basically over the next you know month or so, things just sort of started to really progress. And in hindsight now, my guess is that he probably had this brewing in his system for a long time, but nobody knew because he had some signs of some strange things like amyloidosis causes um, your skin to almost like harden and become leathery. And he had these symptoms of his skin changing over the last year and nothing again. He went to the dermatologist. They took but Nothing came back because it's so rare. It's really hard for people to pinpoint and a lot of doctors don't even know what amyloidosis is. Um, So yeah, it it started to progress. He developed a heart murmur. So once the heart murmur happened, they were like, okay, it's time to start treating. Um, And everything again was going pretty well with treatment, but the amyloidosis just started to literally um, attack his, all of his organs. It's basically like a sticky protein that latches on to all of your organs, kidneys, heart, uh, GI tract, and it just, it destroys it. And it literally was just Mm. destroying his insides. And it took really no time, as you know, the diagnosis. And I came home in September for Labor Day. I was with actually my best friend in Chicago the weekend before. Again, nobody was telling me what was going on. And then my mom called to say, you know, your dad's really sick. He's in the hospital. They're trying to figure out what's going on. And I just, I don't know if I had like a gut feeling, but I basically said to her, I was at Madewell in Chicago. I remember this also. And I was standing outside crying and I said, I'm coming home anyway, but I'm not going back to Los Angeles until dad's out of the hospital. And I went home because we had a family friend who was getting married Labor Day weekend. And I never went back until after my dad passed away. He was in the hospital. And um, when did he? When did he pass away? He passed away September 29th. So 
just shy of a month of when I got back to Florida. And he was in the hospital the entire time, except for two days he came home and then had to go right back. Wow. And it was crazy. You know, he was down at, at Sylvester at University of Miami. And we, at the time, were living in, my parents had moved up to Boca, which is pretty far. It's over an hour. So we were staying with our family friends in Weston, which is halfway, so that every morning we could wake up and drive down to the hospital and spend the day there. It it was it was crazy. Yeah, and your brother lives in that area as well. Yes, and my brother lives in Florida as well, and he's also a dentist. And you know, he kind of got thrown into my dad's office and trying to figure out what was going on there and to salvage it because. You know, my dad, while he wasn't feeling well, and what we learned after the fact is that he kind of had slowed down in the office and wasn't seeing as many patients and was just not himself for several months before. So my brother had to kind of go back in and figure out the business and get things settled there. So he was working while my mom and I were constantly at the hospital. Um, you know, you have to advocate for somebody who's in the hospital, even though he was in ICU and getting unbelievable care. There's just still a lot that needs to be taken care of to make sure that um, the person is getting everything that they need, um, is being treated properly, all of all of the mm-hmm. things. Yeah, it's a lot. It's it, a lot, it a lot, is a, a lot, lot of work. And the thing is that you feel also so helpless, right? That it's like as a family member that's kind of like all you feel like you can do is at least be there to be an advocate for their care Mm -hmm. even if you can't necessarily cure them per se you can at least make sure that the quality of their life as they are there is a good experience um so that is a lot and then also with your brother I'm thinking of how much um you know I, I always talk about the fact that sometimes when pass away the one thing that sometimes does not even allow us to fully grieve is all the business around death that Mm -hmm. we don't even realize that there is and business meaning belongings in this case his actual business um you know the you know burial uh you know Mm -hmm. um preparations and this that you really don't fully start your grief journey sometimes until a few weeks till sometimes even months later when you're done with the busyness Mm -hmm. of it not that those things are not also part of it but sometimes for some people it just consumes them that it doesn't really allow them to feel fully what's going on so how was the um how was uh, how was it then when he passed away as a family what did you all do and um, how did you honor his his life? Yeah, to your point, what you were just saying, um, after he passed away, I mean, bless my dad's heart, he was not prepared. He didn't, we, first of all, no one could have imagined this was going to happen, especially in such a short amount of time. And we never spoke about if, he did pass away. We never had that conversation with him. I don't think any of us could admit it. And truthfully, I don't know if I could have sat down and had a conversation where I said goodbye to him. So while it's a little difficult because there was no closure, it's also sort of a relief that I didn't have to say like, 
goodbye to my dad with him being conscious and aware of it. Um, but I think the last will that he made was probably like when he had to pick a guardian for my brother and I, like when we were younger, but he did not plan anything. He did not have a cemetery plot. He did not, nothing. Remy, did you go live which with your guardian? Is great. <laughs> yes, I went to live with my guard, which is my aunt, which when I was little was my aunt and uncle. Is but it a um, cute life? he just had, I know, he just had nothing planned and not in a bad way, but he was such a, he was such a, big personality his zest for life was enormous so of all people you would have ever expected to pass away young from cancer he would have been the very last person like the shock heard round south florida when my dad passed away was you can't imagine the amount of people that showed up to his funeral was unbelievable because i think it really made people look at their own mortality because again like he was so full of life he rode motorcycles he rode boats he still skied he did whatever he wanted he was the ultimate consumer he had every toy before it was even on the market um so it was it was a lot but um that being said when he passed away you know there was a sense of relief because when somebody's that sick and they're in the hospital, like you constantly have that pit in your stomach of, am I going to get a call in the middle of the night? Am I going to get a call in the morning? Um, every night before my mom and I went to bed, I called the hospital to check to make sure he was okay. Every morning at 7 a.m., I called the hospital to make sure he was okay. And then we would get dressed and go. So to be able to have woken up while we were devastated and heartbroken, and this was going to be a whole new type of pain to deal with, that release of the pit in the stomach of, okay, I'm not worried about this person suffering anymore, was probably the biggest sense of relief you could feel. Now, because my dad wasn't prepared and told my mom jokingly once, if anything ever happens to me, call so-and-so, that was it. We oh, called yeah. so-and-so. And we sort of like started to piece together all of these things. And for a month, I stayed in Florida, I woke up, I couldn't sleep. So I woke up at the crack of dawn anyway, and I would leave my mom in the room, we were sharing the guest room, because neither of us wanted to go into their bedroom. So my mom and I slept together in what was my bedroom in the front of the house. And I would go into the kitchen with all of the bills and all of the paperwork and everything. And every morning from 6am to 10, I just worked. Mm. I would send all the uh, the um, relative paperwork where it needed to go. I was flipping all of my dad's accounts into my mom's name. I was creating passwords for her and making lists and everything because she never did that. You know, my dad either did it or he had a bookkeeper through his office who handled kind of everything for him because he was so all over the place that he had somebody who need, he needed somebody to um, come in and sort of manage like all of his day-to-day -day things that he didn't have the time, patience, or energy for. So there was a lot of that. And um, I think, you know, to your point, it kept me really busy and occupied and I didn't really have time to sit down and think about what had just happened. We had so in the Jewish religion, we have something that's called Shiva. Um, and so we sat Shiva at our house, I think for a week, and we just had people there constantly. And I don't even, I, until we went to sleep at night, 
there was always at least one or two people there. And then the next day we woke up and there were more people there and there was constantly food being delivered. And it was just, it was a lot. And then, um, yeah, I mean, after that month and after, you know, taking care of my mom and getting her, I would say as, as set up as she needed to be, like everything she needed to worry about was pretty much handled and taken care of. She said, okay, I'm, I'm okay. You need to go back to LA. You need to go back to your life. And I was like, I'm not going back to LA. She's like, Romy, I'm going to be okay. I have your brother here. You have to go back to LA. So I packed my things. I went back to LA. And fortunately, I have a great support system. I have, um, I have great friends um, who were there. Uh, they all kept me really busy. And I went back to work and I tried to do all the things that you do, like when you live your life as, as normal as possible. But, um, you know, I, I just remember calling my mom like once a day, hysterically crying, just saying like, I miss dad. I miss dad. I can't believe this happened. I miss dad. And that went on for a while. And, you know, it's been six and a half years now. And it's so hard for me to even remember like what that time was like. And I'm sure if I went to like some sort of specialty psychiatrist who pulls out your memories, I could go there, but I, I don't know even how to go there because it was just such a horrible, horrible time, but it was definitely hard. And I just remember just keeping myself busy and like, this sounds ridiculous, but I had lost so much weight when my dad was sick. I could not eat for months, two months. I don't think I ate and I probably lost 10, 15 pounds. I was already not heavy to begin with. So now I was like emaciated. And I remember going back to LA and people being like, oh my God, you're so thin. And I'm like, oh my God, my dad just died. Like, give me a break. Um, but for a long time, I started to think there was something wrong with me because I could not put the weight back on no matter what exactly. I did. No, yeah. Like, like hypochondriac a little bit, like you become a little bit of like sensitive, like, Oh, what is there? There are yeah. unknown things within me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like, if that can happen to someone that was so healthy and so full of life, you start to worry. And so I went to my doctor, I'm like, I can't gain weight. She's like, Oh, that should be your biggest problem. I'm like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Yeah, with time, I just created a new routine. I think that I, I think the fact that I was able to see that my mom really was okay without me being there also gave me a sense of relief because that was my biggest fear when my dad was, you know, getting really close to the, at the end is that I knew I would be okay because I'm young and I still have a life to live and I could hopefully see the positives and, you know, be grateful for the fact that I did have such an amazing dad and such a great close relationship with him and was able to be there for him in the end. So I had no regrets, but I was just so worried about my mom because they had been together for 41 years and for her to now be living by herself. And she had a heart attack in her fifties and had triple bypass yeah. surgery. And so she has a lot of angst about that. And I know like being alone and not feeling well for her, I, I just worried about all these different things, but she was doing well. So I, I guess in turn was doing well. My brother was doing well. He had the support and I was, I was seeing my mom often. I was like going back to Florida every six to eight weeks. And yes, yeah, slowly over time, we all created this 
new um, routine for ourselves. New new normal that's a good way the new routine i like that word rather because you're like even now when we're talking during the pandemic of people are like oh i can't wait for we us to go back to normal we're like what is really normal Normal, like what is normal like what is you know like really in the big scheme of things what is normal normal is what you're used to but was normal the you know (laughs) <laughs> you know, like, okay, like, I don't know how to explain it, like in this particular dynamic. But in the terms of grief, yes, a new routine, just a new way of living life. And that doesn't dismiss the fact that, of course, you think about your dad all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there's certain, you know, days in which you're probably not wanting to get out of bed or things like that either, right? So let's talk about that part of your um tools so your family was one of your supports but keeping busy was one at the beginning Mm -hmm. because you were helping kind of with that that was one of the ways you coped what other tools did you use in your grief journey aside also from observing your you know uh, your religious rituals to following shiva and so forth what other things did you do the most helpful thing for me um truthfully was going on hikes by myself and listening to sad music as depressing as that sounds there was something and I think part of it was the last like real trip and good time I had with my dad was we were in Colorado um it was in July so not too long before he passed away and him and I he drove me into town one day I was gonna go on a hike and he was gonna have lunch with a friend and I went on this really long hike and I, it was so beautiful. And then I came back down and I saw my dad and he was having an ice cream, which at the time we were like, he's eating. And then him and I drove home. He had a Jeep Wrangler out there and we had the top down and we just had this, we drove like the back way through the most beautiful part of what I love in Colorado. And we just had such a nice day together. So I don't know if like hiking really like, made me remember that day or it was just the being out in nature and having nobody around me and being able to like breathe this like fresh air listen to sad music and cry and nobody was there to like judge me see me or like bother me so I hiked all the time and um it was just this release like I would you know getting up the mountain was like harder. So I would like focus on the way up. I'd like listen to my music. I'd get up the mountain. And then on the way down where you're just like relaxing and pacing yourself because it's much easier to get down than it is to get up. I would just like sob the whole way down. And so it just felt good. That's so perfect. Yeah. That's and so I don't think a lot of people get- know that. Oh, that you did that? Not Yeah. Not I don't think I've like that you did that. Yeah, I don't like, I mean, I have a few friends that, now they do. I have a few friends who like would hike with me, but I went a lot by myself because I needed that time to just like clear my mind and cry. And it just felt like a safe place. That's so important to know that you can allow yourself. And what you said about listening to sad music, I do the same thing. Like if I really feel like crying one day, I actually do more things to make me cry, be, like, it's kind of like, let me go look for, like, some pictures or, 
you know, things like that. Like, it's like, yeah. let me just use this time to really just sink into these emotions mm-hmm. and, and find more things to bring those out because yeah. it's kind of like, you feel like you can't breathe and you just kind of want to just like whew, release. Exactly. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You just want to release. So that's beautiful. Now your dog, did you have him prior to your dad passing or did you get him afterwards? I didn't. Oh, my dad would have loved my dog. He lo- we had a lot of dogs growing up. We were a big dog family. So um, he didn't get to meet Jackson. And also I didn't have my boyfriend. Um, when my dad passed away. So, uh, we met, I think just a tiny bit over two years after my dad passed away, my boyfriend and I, and then we got our dog a year later. So yeah, he's a, he's a, he's newer to that. Well, he's he's three, we've had him for three and a half years. So, and I've been with my boyfriend a little over four years. Um, but yeah, I, I like to think that maybe my dad sprinkled some like magic fairy dust and was like, here you go. He always wanted me to just get married. That was like his number one priority. He was like, I don't care if you work. I just want you to get married. (laughs) So, and, and he heard all the stories about all the guys that I dated and he had nicknames for all of them. And he's like, Oh God, (laughs) these losers. Um, so I know that he would be so happy that I'm finally with somebody who's so great and special and treats me very well. And you know, gets and all of my. And he's from Florida too. He's from he, Florida as well. He's from New Jersey, coincidentally. Or he's from New Jersey, but his parents live in Florida. Okay, yeah. so yeah, so it's like what are and you met in LA. We met in LA through mutual friends from Florida. Like, yeah, what are the chances? Like, what you are know, the and then you can just go back home, visit his family, visit your mom. Like, it's perfect. And funny enough, his parents uh, live in a community where a lot of my parents' friends live. And they actually all, when my dad was still alive before, long before Jordan and I started dating, were all at a wedding together. So his parents actually met my dad when he was still alive. That is just it's crazy. So Small world. Yep. Yeah. It, it just, yeah. Sometimes like you realize lives have to intertwine at one point or another. It's kind of like you've crossed it, but, but maybe the timing wasn't right. And then they cross again. Yeah. That's the right time. And then, you know, um, sometimes you miss, you miss a few of those interactions. When I run into people, even just like randomly, I'm like, maybe there's a reason I'm running to this person again, you know, like maybe I need to meet them or I need to, connect with them because why am I seeing them again, you know, I know. You know or things like, and you, know, you would always, so. I, I feel like you sometimes haven't seen someone years and then you're talking about them randomly. And like the next day, either they call, you run into them or like something pops up about them. So yes, I definitely believe in that kind of stuff. And those energies. Okay. So let's talk about that then. So okay. how do you, since you do believe in those things, how do you now maintain that connection with your dad, aside from your jewelry, which we're going to touch a little bit even more upon. When you go walking, that's what you, when you were hiking at the beginning, that was your therapy. What other ways do you still keep that relationship now with him? You know, it's so interesting. I have never been one to like talk to my dad like it just feels so awkward even when I go to the cemetery I'll sort of just like sit there but I can't just like have a conversation so I think it's just the fact that 
I'm constantly talking about him to other people or like I'll always integrate him into a conversation because he was so much part of my life and is so much part of who I am that um, I think the way that I stay connected to him is just by consistently keeping him alive by the way that I live my life, the way that I honor him and the way that I talk about him um, with other people. And um, my mom and I do get signs. Um, she, oh, oh, <gasps> That Don't was, tell me she just met. My mom just, just called me. She just called me. Her ears How? must be ringing. I know her ears must be ringing. Can you tell me the timing? Like you literally just <laughs> said, my mom and I get signs and then here she is calling you. At yeah, the here she is. That Isn't that funny? <laughs> so her, she started getting them first. And then I started getting them and my brother doesn't get them, but we find dimes. Um, and I know other people find dimes, but hers started um, when we had a home in Colorado and she went to basically clean out the house because uh, she was selling it. It was hard for all of us to go there after. And she put on a pair of shoes one day that she had worn the day before and she felt something in it and she looked and there was a dime. And when she walked into the room for the first time on my dad's side of the bed, just laying there was a dime. And she woke up from a nap one day and stuck to her arm was a dime. So she started collecting them. And then the bag of dimes, which was pretty full, disappeared. And to this day, she's still like, it'll always be in like a very purposeful place. Like not like, oh, a bag of change fell out. There's a dime. It'll be like, she did laundry recently. And when she opened up the washing machine to put everything in the dryer, there was a dime just sitting like right there. Um, and to find coins now in things is even harder than what it would have been a few years back because we use so much car credit cards, you know, exactly. and debit cards that there's not like we walk around with change in general anyway so and that it's specifically a dime that a dime was that a any meaning for him prior to him dying that when you guys started to see the dimes you could realize that there was a connection mm -mm. no no it was just they just started appearing everywhere and it was never ever ever any other type of change never a quarter a that nickel a penny it was always a dime and like the most recent one that happened for me because Again, when I started finding them, it would be like very strange. Like it would be on my rug in my living room in a part of the room that like I never walked to. Or like I was breaking down like a cor corrugated cardboard box at work one day and I got to the bottom of it and there was a dime in it. Like that's weird. Mm. And then recently in Florida, right around uh, my mom's birthday actually, my boyfriend and I were taking a walk in the neighborhood and my dog eats everything. I don't know if your dog eats everything, but he eats everything. Um, so he stopped and was like sniffing in the grass and we're like, oh God, what is he going to eat? So I walk over to see what he's sniffing and I was like, oh, don't even tell me because it was shiny and I bent down and it was a dime and I'm wow, like, oh, this is just lovely. getting crazy. So now I joke, like, Dad, I'm like, if you're going to give me change, like, can we increase to a quarter? Because I have a lot of dimes. I have a whole dish that I keep of them. There is at least 50 in there. And I keep them. I, I have dimes in every bag that I carry, every jacket that I wear. I keep them in the pockets. So 
it's wild. I've made my mom a necklace where I took a dime and I had it, um, a diamond bezel put around it. And then most recently, because she's building a new house, um, I put dimes into the foundation and uh, yeah, in her bedroom. So he's everywhere. He can't, you can't escape him. Have you by chance Googled if there's any significance of dimes? There is. There is and what a did, significant. What did, here, what did you say. find? I am very curious because here my brain is like, okay, dime. What's the, okay, 10. Okay, that's, I wonder the number itself, the fact that it's, a, you know, it would like, or what it is, you know, if okay, it's the value say. of it, the 10, if the number 10 is significant or the, you know, I'm like, here, like in my head, I'm just going around. Yeah, it's okay. Let's see. What does Google Google what does Google I. say? I. What does it mean or when you find Google a dime? Say? In this post, we explore the significance of dimes and the afterlife, along with the spiritual meaning of finding dimes. Um, okay, what does it say? What is the it's material? It, dime are dimes silver? What are dimes made? No, I'm like a silver. I'm like I don't know what I'm saying. That really, what I material are they? Are they made? nickel? Okay, I'm trying to find another time. Okay, well, you're not telling me the significance, so let's go on to. That's so funny that they, they it, you Google that and yet you click on it and it doesn't. Okay, say- this is like the easiest. Okay, okay, here we go. Someone or something is trying to get your attention, guidance or validation that you're on the right path. Ancestors, mm-hmm. spirits, or deceased loved ones want you to know they're looking out for you. And the number 10 symbolizes a circle. So a dime might indicate mm-hmm. coming full circle. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking of the 10 of the 10. So I like those kind of things for me, like it's kind of like a little tap on the shoulder. That's how I see it. For me, it's numbers, you know, or things where if I see a feather on the ground or if I see, you know, but I feel like it's that it's like this little tap on the shoulder of the, the, of the, maybe in that converse, in that moment, either you were having a thought or a conversation was happening or something that is that reassurance of the, yeah. I'm here, or maybe the confirmation of whatever it is that, you know what I mean? It's uh, always like, so. it's always when you need it. Like, I think a lot of times mm-hmm. we get them when we're talking about him a lot or, you know, um, when a birthday is coming up or an anniversary, they are, they're very specific. They don't just like appear. It's always like for a reason. So that so helps perfect. a lot as well. And my brother does not find them, like I said, but funny enough, my um, mom and my brother came out to LA Oh God, maybe it was two years ago now, pre pre pandemic. And my brother hadn't mm-hmm. been out to LA since my dad, since he moved me there, which was uh, like 13 years before. Said, oh, and we went to, we went to Neiman Marcus and cause there was like, you a and bat- your stores by the this is like, I'm like, wait, so this is so you're like the Grove made well. And <laughs> I know every now we're at Neiman Marcus. Like you are in the fashion industry. It makes sense. <laughs> my mom was like wanting to look at this bag and my brother were standing there chatting with the sales associate. My mom's trying the bag on and my brother turns around and he goes, oh my God, I don't find dimes, but I just found the ultimate dime. It was a Judith Lieber bag that was shaped and fully encrusted in crystals that was a dime. 
It was like a life-size <laughs> dime. It was huge. It was the size of probably a salad plate. This is what I think. It's kind of like your dad's like, he probably has, there have been dimes along your brother's path, but he's probably like, listen, what's your brother's name? Justin. Justin, you have not seen all these dimes I'm leaving around. I sent you the one you cannot not not see. And it was so funny because like my dad loved to Uh, shop, like love, took uh, me prom dress shopping when my mom was out of town, brought his camera, was taking pictures, had the women taking them off the mannequin. So if you were going to find a life-size dinner plate size dime, it should be at Neiman Marcus in the form of a Judith Lever handbag. That is not that surprising. I have to be honest. That is just fresh. My <laughs> cheeks hurt just here, like just smiling. I know. Me. Isn't like, that hilarious? I love it. I love it. And that's the thing. It's like all these different connections are really what we make of them and how we feel. It's, mm-hmm. I, I sometimes tell people like I'm like, I have certain things that I feel connected. It doesn't matter what others may think of those. It's what I make of these exactly. interpretations of these connections and if they have meaning for me and if they bring me closer to my loved ones that have passed away then that's all that matters <laughs> you know it's like that's all that matters and right it just brings you that, that exactly it's like whatever that works so, for you like it doesn't have to work for everyone else but whatever makes you feel good or connected then you just go with it go for it yeah, yeah. now do you dream do you remember your dreams by chance too I just talked to someone about this the other day So in the beginning and for a long time, I would only dream about him being very sick and in the hospital. So those were not pleasant dreams. And then I've had one very memorable dream where he called me and it was very clearly him calling me from beyond. Like I knew when the phone rang that it wasn't, well, first of all, the phone rang and it was like a weird number. It wasn't like a traditional telephone number. It was like 6FG759L, something weird. Oh, so I ans- let's write that down. Let's right. interpret that one. <laughs> so I answer the phone and it was him. And I remember being so unbelievably excited. I'm like, oh my God, my dad is calling me. And it's sort of perfect because him and I talked on the phone all the time because we lived far away from each other. But we talked on the phone all the time. And all of his friends used to always say it didn't matter if they were in the middle of a dinner or in the middle of a meeting or whatever. If I called him and he saw my name pop up, he's like, oh, Romy's calling me. I have to take this. So the fact that it was a phone call felt very appropriate. So I answer the phone and it's him. And I'm like, oh, my God, I miss you. And we had this just like. I don't remember the specifics and I probably should have written it down, but we had just like this great conversation where like I knew that I was talking to my dad and he was calling to check in on me. And then we got disconnected and I like got so upset. I'm like, oh no, dad, dad, hello, are you there? And so I ended up calling the number back thinking like this isn't going to work because this is not a real number. And he answered and we talked again for just a couple more minutes or a couple more seconds and he's like, I have to go. I can't talk anymore, but I love you. And I woke up the next morning and I genuinely felt like I had spoken to my dad and I called my mom right away. And I was like, you're never going to believe this, but dad called me last night. Like we spoke (laughs) on the phone and it was just so nice. And that's really the one dream that I've had that I can recall that was really like, whoa. 
-hmm. Yeah, and this is just how you felt afterwards, right? Like how you feel when you wake up that it's like, <gasps> like you connected and that's, that's really like so important. It was so like important. this feeling that you just never wanted to go away. It was something you just wanted to hold on to because it was so real, even though it was just a dream, but maybe it wasn't, who knows? Um, but you know, with time, of course, like you can't remember anything as clearly as you did when it first happened, but it was very amazing when it did happen. Yeah. It's so interesting. A lot of dreams just completely like your race and other ones you can remember certain things very, you know, clearly, you know, in most of it. Um, what are some of the hardest parts of your grief that you have encountered? You know, I think what people don't realize, and I've also spoken about this before, like on my own, you know, my own podcast is that when you lose a person, um, I think people just assume like you're upset and you're grieving the loss of that person, but you're also grieving the loss of your life as you knew it. So for a really long time, I struggled with the fact that, you know, I didn't have my childhood home to come to my childhood home to come home to anymore. The vacations we used to go on as families didn't exist anymore. I always felt like my life as I knew it was packed up into X number of boxes and is now just living in my brother's garage. And it was just really hard for me to sort of express that to people. Well, yes, I miss my dad and that's the hardest of it all. You have to also realize that like my life is no longer what it used to be and it never will be again. And that's just something I have to over time get used to. Um, so that I think has probably been the hardest thing. And it's, of course, with time, everything gets a little bit easier or it maybe doesn't hurt as often. Um, but it, it's definitely a lot. And then, of course, always just like, you know, I try not to think about it too much, but just when my mom has stress and anxiety and worries about things, it always adds stress to me because she is living with someone and she did meet a significant other. Um, so it, it does ease my pain a little bit because she's not alone, but you know, there's just always that like concern for her because she's the one whose life probably changed the most because she lived with my dad and spent every day with him. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. That is so important what you said, Romy, because yeah, there are all these other type of secondary losses that occur during grief that those sometimes end up being the ones that kind of sh mm -hmm. shake us sometimes even more. And again, not because this is the thing you could still maintain that relationship and connection and that love still continues, whether you see your dad or not, but these other things are not going to happen anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. And those things are the ones that we sometimes have to wrap our heads around in that process of grief. So thank you for, for sharing that because yeah, that is important. Yeah. And now, it's how just did like, you you know, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Continue. I was going to say, and like, you know, I don't know how I'll feel, but I'm not married yet. And I don't have grandchildren. I don't have grandchildren. I hope I don't have grandchildren. <laughs> I don't have children, but you know, I can't imagine like how I will feel like the bittersweet reaction I'll have when I do get engaged and I do get married and I do have kids because that was something that my dad wanted so badly for me. And I know would have made him so happy and so proud to have been there to walk me down the aisle and like I'm like do I have to walk down an aisle because I think like while I'd be incredibly happy I would also be completely heartbroken to be 
you're touching on something so important, Romy, because that's that's where that aspect of the time heals, how people say, oh, time heals, or it, it, it's not necessarily, <laughs> that's not necessarily true. Actually, I don't think it's true per se. It's just you become, like you mentioned before, you kind of become stronger around these aspects of your grief that they don't hit you as hard, but even happy moments like what you're even just anticipating for mm. those moments of what it's going to be and what it's going to look like. Those can also, even though they're going to be happy moments, right? They're still going to bring that mixture of grief in it mm-hmm. because of what you're describing. And that's something that we sometimes don't take into account when others are grieving mm-hmm. in those other stages of their life. Sometimes, like you said, like your mom's birthday, how thoughtful of you to know that that was going to be her first birthday without her spouse, that you went beyond any type of gift to do this very meaningful piece for her because you knew what it was going to you know, mean and mm-hmm. it, that this way she could spend that first birthday with him just on her just on her neck yes (laughs) you know with his name around um and um and so that that is important because people sometimes feel like when you reach out to somebody who is grieving they maybe reach out the first couple weeks month then they probably don't ask anymore about Mm -hmm. your grief journey from there on at all definitely I mean listen I have you're accurate you're like 100% accurate because I think like we just discussed, people don't realize how every little thing that happens in your life is now affected by the fact that somebody who should have been there is no longer there. And I don't, you know, expect people to get it. If you haven't gone through it, there's really no reason that you should go there. But I do have friends who still on anniversaries and things like that do reach out and it's always so appreciated. Um, just because the thought, the fact that people, you know, still realize like this is a hard whether it's a hard day or a hard week or a hard year or a hard you know moment in time um they're they're still there but yeah listen people go on with their lives I'm sure that I I try to be very cognizant of reaching out to people who have experienced loss and just say I'm thinking about you or I know this is probably a hard month but listen I'm sure I've probably failed over time to remember a specific occasion. And that's just because Mm -hmm. life gets in the way and people get busy. And especially with this past year, um, there have been so many losses, not of just even like human beings, but like loss of, you know, your life as you knew it and um, loss of jobs, loss of homes, um, Mm -hmm. just loss of livelihood in general. So I I respect the fact that everybody is, uh, you know, going through something challenging at every time in their lives whether not every time, but, you know, constantly people are being challenged by things that are going on in their lives, regardless of whether or not it's a physical loss or just the loss of something that they loved. Mm -hmm. No, you, you say, you said something important. Sometimes we may not remember to contact somebody on that specific anniversary, because again, like, unless we've written down on our calendar, that it's Romy's dad's anniversary, September 20, what did you say? September 29th. So unless I write it down, when September 29th comes around, I'm probably not going to remember. But maybe maybe it's September 3rd and I'm sitting there and your name comes to my mind. And I'm like, and, and it might, I just might just reach out and just say, hey, Romy, just wanted to let you know I'm thinking of you. Mm-hmm. 
that it's like as simple as that. Like I, I really when when somebody's when I have a friend's name that comes to my mind when I dream about them or when I'm in the middle of the day and their name comes to mind, I literally take that opportunity to just like text them, hey, just thought of you. How are you? Randomly, and it doesn't have to be about grief. But what if in that moment, and it's happened actually to me, happened to me once that that happened to be that my friend's dad had literally just passed away when oh I messaged her. Oh my god! So it's like you you never know, like in those moments, like why they're why they're coming to mind. So reach out. What we have to use that aspect of our intuition too sometimes, and and just call them or message your your friends and family if you think of them yeah not only that it's just a birthday (laughs) I think the fact that if you also reach out to someone just to say like I'm thinking about you or I don't know how it's been the last couple of months but blah 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 um, I think it's also just nice to know that that person is obviously receptive to hearing what you have to say and open to it and I think a lot of people when they experience loss feel very lonely because there's only so many people that you can speak to about it who understand. So if you have friends who are consistently reaching out just to check on you, even if it's not an anniversary or birthday, you then feel like if you are having a hard time or a hard day, that person will be there and understanding if you need to have a good cry and talk to somebody or go on a walk with someone or grab a coffee with somebody. So I think it's just nice to know that you have a support system. Um, if that you is, needed that it. Is so true. That is so important. Yes. Now let's talk as we wrap up, let's talk about yes. sincerely and let's talk about what people will be, make sure to put the website on the show notes, but what has it meant for you to create this line now of jewelry inspired by your dad to honor your mom on her birthday, but also honoring her, your dad, um, that you started this, what does it mean to you to have this? Um, as you said, this is the way you honor your dad every single day is through your work now too and spreading this love. So share with us. Yeah. I mean, okay, listen, jewelry is amazing. Diamonds are amazing. Gold is amazing. Stones are amazing. I get to make really beautiful jewelry every day and who doesn't love to do that. But ultimately what I found over the last um, four or four and a half years of doing this more exclusively is it's the connections that I've built with my customers as well as the stories that come with each piece. And that's what I love so much about this brand is that really every person does have a story and every single signature is unique to a specific person, whether they've passed or they're still here. So the fact that I'm able to create pieces that really truly do keep someone's legacy alive because it's a tangible piece of them that you can have with them in beautiful form is just, it's really, really awesome and special. And it's always so great when I hear from my customers and I hear how like really having this piece like has made such a huge difference for them and something that was so hard for them now feels a little bit easier because they do have this token of that person's love. Um, I was just chatting with somebody right before this to make sure that their bracelet arrived. I was like, did you get it? And she's like, yes, but is it strange that I'm scared to open it? And I was like, no, don't be scared, but I get it. And she's like, I just don't have anything from my sister except for a coloring book she gave me as a gift when I was a kid. So the fact that I'm going to have her handwriting that I can wear every single day and be reminded of her 
is just so special. And that's just like constant. It's every single piece, even if it's a kid's handwriting to their mom. Like I made a necklace recently that it's their two, the son and the daughter wrote their names. Oh, and is that the one you just posted yeah. today that the child, e- Ethan e- or something? Yeah, like he, that was was like, I just I yeah. he was like, I know. He was like, he was like more excited. It was so cute. But it's like, look at how excited the kids were and like proud of themselves. And now she every day gets to have her kids with her and just like, they're just all so uniquely special. And it's again, like created this, the, the reason why I started Good Grief is because I felt like I had this community of people who had experienced hardships, loss, and they've all just just done like such an incredible job and handled themselves so gracefully and beautifully in their journeys. And some of them have created businesses or like you created a podcast or, you know, a charity event or a, a nonprofit organization. There's just so much good that has come from all of these hardships. So I just wanted to be able to, like you, share with people how you might have gone something through gone through something so difficult and at the time it feels like there is no light at the end of the tunnel and you'll never ever get there but um now you can listen to all of these amazing stories and know that no matter how hard it is or was or may be in the future like you will be okay and um yeah so i get to make amazing beautiful jewelry I get to connect with awesome people. And now I really do hope that I'm helping others um, the way that I feel like people helped me in the beginning when I was struggling after my dad passed. We pay it forward, right? It's like, yeah, kind of just start paying it forward. And so people can find you then the jewelry It's sincerely jewelry.com or just yes, sincerely. It's, it's sincerely jewelry.com is the um, website. And then my handle for Instagram sure. is just, at Sincerely Jewelry. And then on Facebook, it's also, you just search Sincerely Jewelry. I kept it as simple and, and easy as possible. As you could. And then Good Grief, people can listen to it in your Sincerely Jewelry uh, handle on Instagram. And then also on, we were just YouTube. talking about before, YouTube. You've created, yes. you created now a YouTube. And how do they find it on YouTube? Um, they just search. Somebody doesn't have Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think if you go to um, YouTube and you just search Sincerely Jewelry, that's the name of my channel. So it should just pop up there. But I can also share um, the URL with you so that you have it okay, if you perfect. want to share I'll put it. it below. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the Good Grief uh, interviews are in the Sincerely um, Jewelry on YouTube. Yes, exactly. Yes? Okay. Yeah. Okay, they're perfect. all there saved to so one playlist. Everything's so easy in the same place. Yep. Perfect. Everything's in one place. And um, if I could have a dime for every thought, <laughs> if you could give me now, I'm going to be thinking of dimes. Every time I see a dime, I'm going to think of you. Um, what would be a final thought you'd like to share? An, a, a dime, a dime thought for a your dime audience. Thought? You know, <laughs> I always say that I'm so grateful, even though I only had my dad for 29 years. Um, you know, I could have had a dad where we had an okay relationship and saw each other once or twice a year on holidays, whatever. And he could have lived till 105 years old. But I had a dad that was so awesome. And we had such an amazing close relationship with and I wouldn't change it for the world. So even though it was such a short time, I just feel like I was so so lucky to experience such a special guy for um, the 29 years that I did. So 
for anybody who has experienced loss, um, someone that you were super close with and, um, you know, it's, it's hard just hold on to the fact that not everyone is as lucky as us to have experienced somebody um, that special in our lives. So I will never lose sight of that. And I will forever be grateful for all of that time and for all of the amazing uh, memories, experiences, and things that we shared together. Mm. And now this you're crying why, and I'm trying I, not yes, to cry. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. This is why I don't do So Romy and I are seeing each other, even though I'm only using the audio, because this is the reason, because then if not, I would have to see myself here crying. Or Oh my goodness. When I watched, when I listened to Jenny's episode... I was on a walk and I was sobbing like the part where she said that um, they used to always honk twice when they left the house and the person who yes. came to get her mom, they asked if and they honked twice when they and he left. honked twice. I was like walking down the street and I was like, Oh God, I can't even contain myself. But you know, it's so interesting when you can talk about something so difficult, like, and not cry, because sometimes I'm like, how do I get through this without crying? But you know, you've spoken about it so many times that it becomes part of your, you know, your new routine, your new normal. But when you see how it affects other people, you're like, Oh, God, this is hard. This is shitty. This does suck. But listen, whatever happens, happens, and it is what it is. And just be grateful for what you did have with that person. The, the fact because... that you have somebody to miss that itself is like that itself. The exactly. fact that you had the honor in life to be missing someone that in itself is exactly. a treasure because not everybody has that in, in whether whatever relationship it is. Exactly. And that is, I think that that's what, uh, what moved me right now, as you were saying that and, um, and that there are a lot of people that maybe don't have that, you know, to miss, you know. And yet obviously struck a chord with you because Absolutely. you feel the same way. Absolutely. about. And I'm just so yeah. grateful that you're on this podcast. And thank you for, for taking the time to, to share uh, your dad, Steve, with us. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And I can't wait to actually <laughs> listen to it back when it's live. And then I'll obviously share it Thank as, you. as Thank well. Thank you so much, Romy. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.